Today is a special privilege to have the Drost family with us. I met Kyle just about a year ago, right, uh, up in Nome. I was up for the Nome camp meeting. Kyle was uh, there on assignment doing youth ministry in Nome, Alaska. Great uh, just to get to know him in a few days that, that I was there during the camp meeting. But uh, we uh, are privileged today host him in a different capacity. He is uh, itinerating to raise support so that he can be a, the full-time Youth Alive director for the state of Alaska. Now, now we have talked a lot about Chi Alpha before, and that's our, our uh, college and, and university ministry on the secular college and university campus. So like in UAF and UAA, uh, we have Chi Alpha ministers there ministering to young people uh, there with the gospel outreach. Youth Alive is kind of the counterpart to that, except on the high school campus. Maybe Kyle will explain a little bit more about the details of that, but uh, he's looking to bring support and help to youth ministry across our state, and especially in the rural areas that are not served by our road system, uh, reaching out there, making uh, the gospel consistent part of village life. So uh, would you welcome Kyle as he comes to share this morning? God bless you, Kyle. It's a great privilege to have you. Who alone is worthy. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you guys, and uh, I so enjoyed uh, meeting Pastor Steve last October in Nome and sitting with him. Uh, I always like to get around uh, more, more seasoned men of God, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, we just celebrated Alyssa and I this past week, seven full-time years in the ministry, and uh, I'm a pastor's kid, I'm a grand pastor's kid, and I'm an uncle's uh, nephew, pastor, kid, whatever you want to call it, but there's a lot of pastors in our family. And uh, as well, I'm from the great state of Pennsylvania originally. Anybody know where Pennsylvania is? Back on the East Coast there. And, and so, you know, if I say that in Nome, if I say, you know, anybody ever been to Pennsylvania? One student jumped up and said, is that by Washington? And I said, the president? Praise God, you know. No, but uh, so, so, so good to be with you guys this morning. <clears throat> as Pastor Steve had mentioned, we served uh, as youth pastors in Nome as well as we traveled the region. Got to the great privilege and honor to preach the gospel in places like Shaktulik and Imanic and Nunamikwa, other places as well. And uh, this past year, we've been to Barrow. We've been to, um, I can't even think of all the places we've been, but we've been a lot of places uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I grew up in an Assemblies of God church. My dad's an Assemblies of God pastor and is still a great voice into my life. I so appreciate uh, how I was raised but a church lot, a lot like this, my grandpa went to the church in 1965, and, uh, which was no secret, that's long before I was born, and uh, that was actually the year my father was born, and uh, he's still there. My grandpa's 93, still preaches. My dad now pastors the church full-time, but and it's a rather large church, and growing up in uh, the Assemblies of God Church, what, what, what a blessing that was. My Sunday school teacher who taught me and my brothers, also taught my father. She had taught Sunday school for 54 years before she finally said, I'm done teaching Sunday school. She's still alive, still prays for me every week. And uh, I don't know what it is, maybe something in the water. Those are coal mining towns where I'm from. Maybe it's something in the water. People live a long time. So if you don't like me, you're going to have to put up with me for a really long time here in the state, praise God. And uh, I'm just kidding. And uh, 
It's good to have a good time in church. Amen? Amen. But the only thing that truly changed my life as a young person was the gospel of Jesus Christ and the demonstration of the power of God. There, 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 and I, I so appreciate people who had efforts. I think of growing up, and I went to public school until I was in high school, and my parents had pulled us out of school. Me and my brothers uh, had done our fair share of backsliding in school and, and uh, partying and things like that. I'll never forget it. I was at Winter Retreat, which was our youth camp in Pennsylvania, and we had a district youth director who uh, was just a great man of God. He always allowed time for people to receive Christ, to be uh, ministered to by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be healed, things like that. But it became very monotonous, if I can use that word, growing up. I would go to youth camp. uh, Our youth ministry would get on fire for God. And then we would go home. The fire would kind of dwindle. We would get back into our routine until the next camp would come. Has anybody ever seen anything like that? If we could just be transparent this morning. We've seen that happen before. Until I was about 15 years old, and there was a man by the name of Lee Rogers, who's actually the the national director for Youth Alive now, and a great friend of mine. He shared that we are not just called to get a touch from the Holy Spirit, feel good, and go back to living the same way in which we came. But we are to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit, and a fire get on the inside of our spirits to say, I am now sent out as a great missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I started to see that my school was not just the place that me and my brothers were to sell marijuana at, it wasn't just the place to get our friends and we can go party, but it was actually the mission field in which God has entrusted me to, it was a divine change in my spirit. And I believe that there are many students here in the great state of Alaska who have the same experience, that they are done just living life to live life. And, and, you know, we could talk all day statistics that you all are very well aware of if you live in this state. We lead the nation in teen suicide. We lead lead the nation in teen anxiety and depression. We lead the nation in all kinds of stats and statistics that are not proud to be of. But I believe that the only answer, and and I I appreciate so much the the efforts that have gone on before us and and trying to do, uh, you know, ecumenical efforts and things like that. But there is only one power that can change a young person. It, It is not somebody who's going to smile at them and say, say no to drugs. It, it, it is not someone who's going to smile at them and say, hey, you better, you, better, uh, you better be abstinent. It's not what the only thing that's going to change a young person's heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ and a demonstration of the power of God. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. Uh, my wife and my children are here this morning. We have a Two-month-old baby is our youngest boy. Our boys are five, three, and two months, and we've been married. We celebrated uh, seven years of marriage this past July, and she hasn't uh, killed me yet. Praise God. So we can, something to thank God for. Amen. No, just privilege. You know what? My wife is from Long Island. Uh, her father is uh, 
Sicilian, Italian. He's got the thick Brooklyn accent and a testimony to go with it. Praise God. He's a Teen Challenge graduate and a a mighty pastor now, actually. And when I remember when I asked for her hand in marriage, I asked her parents, and my father-in-law never really paid attention to me. But the next day, he said, I need you to go for a ride with me. I said, okay. Toothpick in his mouth, aviators on, the gold chain. And I thought this might be my last ride, praise God. <laughs> like a scene out of Goodfellas, you know, it's like, okay, you know. And he said, there's some things that you should probably know about our family. I said, okay, praise God. But my beautiful wife and our children uh, are here this morning, and uh, we're so blessed to call Chugiak our home just north of Anchorage, but in Judges chapter 6, if you're there, many of you know this story, but let's start in verse 11. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And if you see in this story, the Midianites are coming on to ravage the children of God. And so Gideon chooses to do what many of us would choose to do. Uh, the, the, the only picture I can think of, is, I, I think of if, is if you read the book, The Diary of Anne Frank, and she's hiding, right, because, uh, because of the Nazis who are surrounding her, her town. And there's a hiding that's going on with Gideon and he's here just trying to, to persevere through this attack, knowing of the sudden doom that's impending. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. If you look over in Psalm chapter 71, David said this, And I quoted this one time preaching in Guatemala, and the whole crowd laughed at me because of how young I am. It says, now that I am old and gray, and and a lot of times I'll say things, and I'll I'll pause. And I I was even younger. This is 10 years ago. I said, now that I'm old and gray. And, and, And the translator had to translate, you know, and I can't even think of what that would be in Spanish. My wife could tell you. But, you know, and so, and, and he said it, and the whole crowd, I mean, I lost the crowd right there. I thought, I better just go home. Praise God. But I'm quoting Psalm 71. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me. O God, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. 
See, there's a war right now for the hearts and minds of the young people in our state. And if you don't believe me, though I don't really personally like to watch the news because I don't like to be lied to. Sorry. It's just the truth. My dad was over in Israel one time uh, by the Gaza Strip, and CNN was over there, um, and they paid kids money to start throwing rocks at each other. And they said, okay, cameraman, go ahead and, and, and take a video of these kids throwing rocks at each other. They were playing with each other. But, you know, for 100 bucks, a kid will do, you know, whatever you ask him to do. So they, they started throwing rocks at each other. And the reporter's stand there, you know, with a helmet on. You know, as you can see, the fighting is so intense here. Even kids are starting to fight against each other. And so, you know, some people are so crooked. When they die, you're going to have to screw them into the ground. You can't bury them. Praise God. That's not political. That's just truthful. But there's a war for the hearts and minds of our young people, and it's seen on our national news. Ten years ago, if someone was to tell you, and we love school teachers, some of the greatest volunteers in youth ministry we have were school teachers. So this, this isn't to generalize school teachers, but it is to say something about some people who have an agenda. If you were to say ten years ago that they were to teach drag story queen hour at the public school, you would say, that's crazy, they can't do that. But if you've seen any news within the last about two years, you'll see that that's commonplace now. In fact, even in the school in the town in which we live, they do meditation with the kids every morning. You know, we're, we're going to you know, find our Zen here today, and, and so you, know, you can go ahead and begin to meditate. Well, if, if, if I walked into that school with a Bible underneath my arm and said, all right, we're going to have some prayer here this morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to Judges chapter 6, I'd be thrown out and arrested. So why, why is it that, that they can push, you know, that America's a very bad place, that our founding fathers were all, you know, really bad, that, you know, that, you know really if you're white, you're, you're racist to the core? So why is it that, that they, can, they can push that agenda, but the moment that you mention the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, you're a felon? But there's a, the, the, there's a, a great opening to this, is that this, though we can't, me and you, we can't just go march in a school and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's these wonderful people called students who frequent the school five days a week. And because of Pre uh, President Reagan in 1982, he, he signed a thing into federal law that whatever a student has an initiative to do, that legally speaking, as long as it's not immoral or illegal, they can do it. And so that's why, uh, probably even this, in the school here, I have, I have yet to come across a public school that doesn't have one. There's an LGBTQ plus school uh, or club in each school. Can we say that there's a Bible club in each school? We can't say that yet. But I believe and I have vision to see that, that here in a few short years that we're going to have Bible, Bible clubs in our schools. Amen? Because we could talk all day about what the agenda is to, to, to change our, our, our students' uh, minds and to get them to conform to the image of this world, or we can rise up, hear the call of God to say, no, my generation shall be saved. I'm uh, about 10 years older than, than uh, the oldest high school student, so that should give away my age. But even when I went to school, it was like taboo where I grew up. 
if, if a student was, if you said anything negative about Jesus Christ, it was like, oh my gosh, how sacrilegious. That's 10 years ago. And now it's the opposite. So you can see that there's a great dichotomy right now in our nation. And, and if, that, if that to you today doesn't really mean anything, well, you know, that's, that's their own prerogative. Uh, just think that in a few short years, they're going to be the, those same students who one-fifth of them identify as LGBTQ, one-fifth of Gen Z. You realize that in five to ten years, those are going to be the people who are running for office and voting for our next president. So you might think, well, it doesn't matter what teenagers in our public school are doing, but I would say it's twofold. Number one, they're souls. Everybody is somebody to Jesus. Amen? And secondly, they are going to decide the future of our nation in just a few short years. So let's look at some of those statistics this morning. There's over 68 million people in Gen Z, the largest generation the world has ever seen yet. More than one in five Gen Z identify as LGBTQ. 42% of Gen Z, which is like our high schoolers right now, 42% of Gen Z has a diagnosed mental health condition. 20% have seriously considered suicide in high school. And this is nationally, so this doesn't even consider Alaska, which would, which would lead, the, would lead the, the charge in all these areas. 22% of Gen Z professes to be Protestant. 22%. 7% of Generation Z attends religious services weekly. 7% of 68 million. They will be the largest eligible voting block in our nation in just five years. Have you ever heard, you know, and, and I, I've always taken a liking to, to studying elections and, and things like that. But the largest voting demographic in five years will be the teenagers in our school. By far. By far. So you realize the importance right now of getting their minds on the things of God. You, you realize right now that we can talk about how, how the, you know, there's, there's a push right now to get the Bible out of our schools and to get books in our schools that say that all American history is bad. That you, you should apologize for the way that you were born. If you were born into a nuclear family, that's a bad thing. All, all those things that, that has flooded our schools. You know, you think about it. In the 50s and 60s, that it, it was wrong to chew gum and they would smoke cigarettes outside of school. I think we would take chewing gum and smoking cigarettes these days. <laughs> but even better, we're going to see a great revival amongst young people. Amen? We're going to see a generation rise up. Because I believe that we can talk about the, we can talk about the agenda of the enemy as long as we want, but that there's a God who's calling to us. We can't slip into self-preservation this morning. We can't slip into a, a, a mode this morning that says, let's hide, let, let, let's preserve our family. Uh, we're the least in our family. We're, we're, we're the smallest demographic. No, we need to be a church that rises up and says, Lord, use us. 
Use us to turn back the tide. The Bible says that though the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord will raise a standard up against him. Though the enemy comes in one way, he flees seven ways. So we could talk about how the enemy's coming into our schools. We could talk about how there's a war for a generation, but I'd rather talk about what God's going to do in the generation. I'd rather talk about what God's going to do in our young people. I'd rather talk about how God's going to use you and use me to partner together to stand up and say, no, our generation shall be saved. Maybe today this is your story. Like David, you'd say, my youth has passed. I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, the salt and pepper is starting to show. Well, it's time to proclaim the power of God to a brand new generation. I have the privilege to, to, to preach in a lot of different youth ministries. I've never seen such a hungry generation in my entire life. I've never seen it. I, I've, I've ended before a sermon. And the students look at me like, that was it? You realize that this is the same generation that, if, that, that flip on Netflix every single day or, or go on TikTok every day or Snapchat every day and are spending eight to ten hours of their time ingesting whatever is pushed through those, those media streams. So to ask them to come to church, they're very open to it. It's the, it's the most integrated socially and dissocialized generation on the face of the earth. They're all connected, yet they don't have relationship. And I believe that the call of God today is to say, let's rise up and proclaim the power of God to a brand new generation. Let me tell you a story, and I'm going to change the name for the sake of the identity of the girl as she's still in the hospital but a call that we got recently. Native girl, she's 15 years old, lives in Eagle River, which, uh, if you're familiar with the state, is one of the nicer parts of the state as far as economics are concerned. In fact, it's one of the highest concentrations of wealth in Alaska. Native girl, she's 15. We'll call her Hannah this morning. She recently overdosed on fentanyl. The week the week. Before she overdosed on fentanyl, she was at youth conference in Wasilla. And she had to leave every day. It wasn't the Assemblies of God Youth Conference. It was a different youth conference. But she had to leave every day because she was sick. I didn't know why she was sick. I was just there to serve. Pretty girl, you know. We get a call that she overdosed on fentanyl. And she was in the hospital. And it looked like, if I can be extremely transparent, it felt like God-like. How are we as parents supposed to raise our kids? This is, this is where, we're, this is suburbia, right? This is where we avoid problems. And she's not 24, she's, she's 14, 15 years old. And she's on the brink of death in the hospital because of fentanyl on our streets. And we, it's like a pit in our stomach. She had the gospel preached to her. She had people surrounding her. We thought she was okay. We, she had to leave every day because she was sick. We didn't know that 
she was going through withdrawals because she can't go more than six to eight hours without a needle in her arm. At 15 years old. See, this generation does not need a church that, that, that is like, hey, come when you want. Hey, I hope you show up. This generation needs people who are invested in their lives. You know, one thing about Gen Z, statistically speaking, is that uh, like mainline denominational churches, like, you know, that, and I say that respectfully because we're not a, we're not, we're not a denomination, we're a fellowship, praise God. But they're, they're repelled by church. They're like repelled by it. But they love spiritual things. What an opportunity. That girl, Hannah, by the way, about five days ago, called the church, and she said, I need to get right with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? See, the war for our young people is not for them to stop talking in school, to stop putting gum underneath the desk. The problems that this generation is facing are not teenage problems. They are serious, they are souls, and there's an agenda right now to wipe them out. But I would ask us as a church, what's our, or what's our agenda to win them for Jesus Christ? Playing church won't do it. The confusion that, that they, they are dealing with on a daily basis will not do it. And I close with this, that what Generation Z, Z needs more than a religious system that invites them to come is a church on fire. See, it's either we reach them or the pit of hell reaches them. But there's no in-between. It's either, it's either that the news begins to report about the revivals that break out in our schools, or they continue to report that this is the highest suicidal generation that the world has ever seen. And so it leads us to a few conclusions. It leads us to say that, well, certainly this is a, a generation in crisis, but what a generation in crisis needs is a church on fire. See, I still believe in the power of the cross. I still believe that the blood will never lose its power. I still believe that, that the same blood that saved me will save this generation. I still believe that it's the blood that, that reaches to the highest mountain, but it flows to the lowest valley. That it doesn't matter what inflation says and, and what the economy is and what confusion is and what the things that they're propagating right now. What matters is, is that there's a Jesus who died for this generation. And, and whether, you know, I think of the Titanic and, and, and the, the, the Titanic, which we know, you know, collapsed. And it, it wasn't that there was not a sufficient plan to evacuate the Titanic because there was. It's that every lifeboat People just cut the straps and got themselves in it and floated off into those icy waters, except for lifeboat 13. See, our story with Gideon is he turned into a lifeboat 13. Some of you might know this story. Lifeboat 13 took so many passengers abroad that it itself almost sank. 
Friend, what this generation needs today is not Lifeboat 12 or 11 or 10 or 9 or 8 or 7 or 6 or 5 or 4 or 3 or 2 or 1. That says, we got saved, let's cut the straps and get out of the sinking ship. We need a Lifeboat 13 type of a church that says we're going to take so many people with us. I don't care if it almost sinks us. We're going to take so many people with us to heaven. See, there's a great quote that says, some people, live, uh, some people wish to live within a, a mile of the church bell. I would rather set up shop within a yard of hell. My wife and I have been in places, we slept in assemblies of God, churches on the floor, tribal halls. We've got three little babies, you know, you could see them today. We left a W-2 normal ministry position, a thousand-person church, multi-site church, because we believe that God is not done with this generation in Alaska. Our heartbeat is for the state. Our heartbeat is that Alaska shall be shaken, that God would do in our state something that would change this generation around, that we would rise up. You know, Jesus, Jesus did not tell his disciples to go and pray. Hey, go, guys, go pray so that my father would send angels to go preach the gospel. He never did that. He said, you go. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Freely as you have received, so freely give. And today what we need, more than ever, I'm so convinced of it, I've been in the church my entire life. I believe that the greatest hope on the face of the earth is Christ in us, who is the hope of glory. It's a bleak picture out there. I'm not even going to try to dress it up. Our schools are a bleak picture. My wife and I have chosen to homeschool our oldest boy who started school just this past week because of the onslaught of confusion and wretchedness in our school. But it does not change the power and the glory of God that resides in you and that resides in me. And if we take that power and we take that glory and we say, well, at least we're saved, we've missed the mark. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes here for a second and ask the Lord to put a passion in us to burn like a fire in us. There's an old African-American preacher. He said, Lord, he said, dip me in the kerosene of your spirit that people would come and watch me burn. Not alive for us. Philippians 2 says that we, we don't consider our, ourselves, that we should have the same attitude that Christ had to consider others more significant than ourselves. We love that for our kids and for our spouses, but is it true for, 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 for the, the Hannahs of the world? who was on the brink of death this past week. But God, so rich in mercy. And I'm, not, I'm not asking you what... I'm not asking you this morning what, what's, what is God going to do. I'm asking you this morning what are we going to do with Christ in us who is the hope of glory. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, friend, I need a touch this morning of the Holy Spirit. Just go ahead and reach out right now, right where you're at. Father, we pray that you would ignite a fire in us, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, that we would see a generation 
on fire for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Steve. We are going to receive a missions offering uh, for Kyle and, and uh, their ministry. And if you would like to participate in that, um, everything that is given in this offering will go 100% to uh, getting Kyle and his family uh, full-time on the mission field and in Alaska. I, I'm just excited the, that uh, God has called them here. Uh, the need is great. I think, you know, we have illustrated that or seen that uh, explained to us. And uh, it just seems like our time is short. So uh, if you are helping in any way uh, with an offering, uh, if, if you're making out a check, you can just make that out to Kenai New Life. And uh, all of that will be given uh, in, in that offering. So let's uh, pray for just a moment. He Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, break our hearts. <laughs> Lord, there's certainly enough reason for our heart to be broken. And uh, Lord, instead of being uh, jaded or, or hardened towards the plight of this generation, Father, we pray that our hearts would be open and broken for them. And uh, Lord, use us in whatever capacity, Lord, that you can use us. And uh, Lord, if we would just say yes, uh, we, are, we know that you are faithful to do that. And, uh, and Lord, we thank you for uh, calling, Lord, uh, the Dros family to Alaska for this need and for this purpose. And we pray, Lord, your blessing upon every gift, every giver, Lord, uh, as is given in faith today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.